future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it's the new year, 2023. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody who's been with us from the beginning. I'll even welcome all the haters out there who love to tune into here just so they can shake their head, wag their finger, throw their hands up in disgust, whatever it might be. Welcome to all of you. Welcome to all the folks who supported the show. Welcome to everybody who's been out there organizing. Welcome to everyone who tweets out stuff. Everybody out there. It is Monday, January 9th, 2023. Yes, the first show of 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyards and from across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundups, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you're also going to be able to check out some really cool stuff that we're going to be uh, doing with uh, some folks in the very near future. We're very excited about that. Um, every once in a while, you also get to hear Cyril Michaleko, right? Yes, the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, come on this show for our Wednesday show. He usually joins me about once a month or so to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can get us there. You can also head on over to our YouTube station if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And for our Patreon patrons out there, you've uh, already got the kind of initial early skinny on some new things happening um, over, over on our Patreon location. Um, I'll talk to you a little bit about that tonight, too, as well. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. Yes, five bucks a month. It's like good beer, decent beer, good cup of coffee once a month. Yeah, you can do it. Also, welcome to our new Mastodon community. Yes, as part of the Twitter exodus, Raging Chicken is now also on Mastodon. You can find us on Mastodon at at rcpress at union.place that's at rcpress at union.place you can also join our discord server now i haven't been plugging this a whole lot uh, at the end of 2022 just because things kind of got hectic and uh trying to figure out what we're gonna actually do with that space i'd like to see that expand in 2023 and i think we're gonna be able to like make that happen for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream, 9 p.m. Eastern, or YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Look, wherever you can kind of find social media, wherever you kind of like hear streaming stuff, you're going to find Rick's. So check out the Rick, uh, check out everything that Rick's got going on over at therick'smithshow.com, the latest across all his platforms, his like TV show on Free Speech TV. You can check out um, his recently computed, uh, completed uh, um, you know, a uh, tour across the country, talking to working people who are doing the hard work of organizing and winning. Um, just great stuff. And a new year. Got to start season three. It's coming season three. 
Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Yep, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron. Behind that podcast, rock the house. And you know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. Subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And for all you gamers out there, I want to thank, I want to make special thanks to those of you, uh, you know, who, of our listening audience, who head on over to the Game Inn. Uh, that's the Game Inn, of course, uh, Game Inn with two ends, Quakertown based black family owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, latest consoles, platforms, uh, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, you've heard me say. I want to thank all of you who've actually taken the time and head on over there, um, kind of brought in some stuff to sell or trade, um, picked up some games for Christmas, um, for the holidays. Um, I, I know I've heard back that uh, had some Raging Chicken folks that have gone in there. I really appreciate you kind of giving them their business. They're just a awesome family who runs this. Uh, I've mentioned this on the show before one of my son's best friends parents owned the place and um they're just great people it's uh the kind of business that we should be supporting um you know so get on over there to the game in that's the game in um yeah you can check them on their facebook page you follow them on twitter at, at the game in if you got a question about a game looking for something hard to get shoot them a message drop them an email at the game in pa at gmail.com <laughs> Special shout out, as always, goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our new intro, who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Dayman. It's at Song of Dayman on Twitter. And hey, everybody, this is another reminder: school board season is starting. Don't let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. <clears throat> I'll have some announcements about what we'll be doing at Out to Coop Live in the uh, coming uh, weeks and months and, you know, <clears throat> as they say, God willing, years. Um, <clears throat> but uh, for now, we're just going to have a kind of more of a casual slow walk into 2023. How about that? You know, how about that? Um, that's kind of where we're going tonight. So um, I just wanted to have, uh, you know, hop on here. We don't have any guests tonight. Um, didn't have anything planned for this evening um, other than just wanting to kind of come on and kind of welcome everybody back. Hoping you had a good new year. Talk about some things that are kind of bouncing around in my mind. <laughs> um, things where things that are going um, and some of the hopes um, kind of moving forward. Um, there's a couple things that uh, I'll be I've been, you know, talking with Cyril Michaleko over at the Bucks County Beacon and uh he and I have got some ideas for collab collaborations uh, coming on up in the new year. Um, once we kind of get that all squared away, I'll be able to kind of uh, talk a little bit more about that stuff. But that's really exciting. Um, I think we're going to also <clears throat> I think one of the things that I'd like to kind of revisit to as well is really a focus on kind of building out some of our kind of independent media um, through so kind of collaborations and networking. Um, you know, it's it's always a slow process to build this stuff up, um, to work with other folks, to finding ways that, you know, um, you could kind of coordinate things with. Coordinate probably the wrong word, but more like finding ways that we can 
support each other in the work that we're doing, you know, and, you know, I've been in some other context where, you know, this kind of work, it's not even just this kind of work, right? I mean, but there's other contexts where it's always about kind of competition, right? Who can get the one up on the next person? Um, and, you know, that exists in, in this kind of environment as it does in any kind of environment. And what's pretty, pretty impressive about um, what we've been able to do so far, at least here in kind of Bucks County and parts of Pennsylvania, is not fall into that trap, right? Um, not fall into the trap of simply... Um, trying to one-up everybody, right? But looking for opportunities to kind of expand. Um, the tricky thing is always um, is to not kind of take too big of a bite out of the apple, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, I, I've always been somebody, who, you know, who's worked, you know, this kind of, especially kind of independent media. Um, but it's true in other projects that I've worked on too, is that um, had lots of good ideas, Right. And um, had a, a how would I put this? I think my working assumption had had been for a long, long time that if you work to build something, right, even if you're a small group of people and you work to build something and the something that you're building is actually going to help people, is exciting, is interesting, that it will attract more folks and like that will kind of take up, you know, some of the work and some of the labor, help kind of with the cost of things, all that kind of stuff. And that would kind of expand. Right. Um, and that's, you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes you just get burnt. Right. And more often than not, um, especially, the you know, and some of the work did at Kutztown and things like this where um, it, that kind of mentality doesn't kind of always work well, right? It ends up being, and you know, you all know the story. I mean, you know how this works is that there's a few people that always end up doing the work, right? Um, or it becomes a question of competition between, you know, this group versus that group that leads to kind of like infighting and all this kind of drama, whatever it might be. And, you know, that's been a story of, of good chunks of the left for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, maybe some of it's just a function of getting older. I don't know. Uh, I hate, I've always hated that kind of line of logic. But I like to think that after running headfirst in the wall in, enough times that I've kind of finally learned that it's okay to kind of build slowly, you know. And, um, and so, well, Raging Chicken, when we first started back in um, – 2010, 2011, I should say, uh, when we were primarily doing writing uh, and reporting at RagingChickenPress.org, um, <clears throat> we did a lot. Like, we did a ton of work. I mean, I look at the stuff that I wrote during that period of time when we were doing most, our, most of our investigative work, most of our... Um, kind of uh, reporting and, and stuff, especially with, with the stuff when Sean Kitchen and I really got um, really trucking. We started bringing some other writers in and all this other kind of stuff. I look back at some of the, the work that I did then and I'm, just like, I'm both impressed by how much stuff we got done. Um, but also, you know, I, I think it just kind of, you know, burned myself into a hole, right? Burn, burn myself out in some ways. Um, 
And, you know, and as you kind of start having other kind of demands on your life, I mean, like wanting to spend time with my family, for example, <laughs> you know, like literally legitimately um, and not kind of like burning the midnight oil every night to try to, you know, do two jobs at once, you know, had to slowly kind of move back. I and mean, that, that was especially true in, you know, 2016 when we um, both at, at my job, we were organizing for a strike and we had first uh, Abscuff's first ever successful uh, our first ever strike. That was successful, right? No, our first ever strike, full stop, period, right? And not only was it our first strike, but it was uh, incredibly successful. It only lasted three days, in part because of the kind of coalitions that we had built with, with students and the community and everything like this, the kind of support that came out, all that stuff. <clears throat> so that was happening in 2016. Right. Of course, the presidential election that that, you know, led us, you know, further down the road of fascism eventually, right, was happening in 2016. Um, <clears throat> at that particular point, I had like, I was literally, I probably I've told the story on the show uh, before, um, had it not been for that strike, I was, I was preparing to leave Quitstown at the time, <clears throat> um, for, you know, reasons that I could go into uh, extensively. I was so burnt out and really distraught about my job, right. At Quitstown, right. <clears throat> um, at the time, but that seemed like a really important fight to stay for. And I could hope that we build future. So a lot of kind of stuff that was happening. I, I don't think I could do it all over again. Like, I mean, like now, right. To do all that stuff. And so since then, especially since Sean um, has gone on to kind of greener pastures and like, like I literally mean green, like in the sense that he, uh, you know, actually got a kind of pretty good paying job doing the work that he was doing. I mean, obviously we're all, primarily here like a volunteer organization i mean you know i give like little say stipends and payments for for our writers and things like this but you know i mean frankly if you're i'm not getting anything from this right you put money into this um so it's like you know i, I always hoped that this could be that you know place where people could cut their teeth on this kind of work and then and then kind of move on that especially when we're doing all the writing but anyways when especially as after sean left and stopped doing writing for us. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> we still did the podcast for a while, but, <clears throat> you know, his work became more kind of, uh, kind of um, more time consuming. And it was, he was more focused on that, which is kind of what you expect, you know, I and mean, that's kind of the idea. <clears throat> but after that, I figured, okay, do I just kind of take it all on my shoulders and move forward and <clears throat> just try to pretend that, you know, I'm still this, doing the same amount of work. And of course I couldn't. Um, but since then, you know, I've kind of gone with this kind of more slow movement, a slow approach here. And I think that as everything has happened with the school boards here in Bucks County, <clears throat> as I've been able to focus primarily kind of more on the podcast and bringing on really good guests and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> kind of found this space. Right. And in that kind of more more slow development in some ways and pay attention a lot more attention to what was happening on directly in the community directly around me um started building out kind of some of the our, our connections here as well and it's been the kind of thing where i can see really cool stuff really cool possibilities emerging right both uh, at the organizing level seeing what's happening with different kind of uh uh, kind of uh, community-based organizations in the area, um, but also what's happening with us in independent media. So anyways, <clears throat> I'm just rambling at this point, I know. But <clears throat> so I've been very pleased to find groups of people and find individuals that are working on media projects that are really interested in just trying to how to help each other, 
<clears throat> right? Hey, where can we work together or how can we support each other's work as opposed to, oh, um, they're doing this while they're blah, blah, blah. And so we need to take them down because we're more important. Um, <clears throat> it's been really great. Um, for that. So I'm very thankful about that for uh, really a lot of that coming together in 2022, uh, which I definitely was not so focused on uh, at the end of 2022, because if, uh, 2022 felt like <clears throat> like I was ready for it to put it behind me. Let me put it like that. <clears throat> so we'll say. Um, so, yeah, so that's going on. <clears throat> um I also want to apologize to everybody about the show on Friday. Uh, I was planning on having a show on Friday. I even talked about this on the, our Patreon a little bit. Um, uh, and I, it just did not happen. It did not happen because I got sick once again. Um, <clears throat> which has been a little frustrating, <laughs> I have to say. Um, I've been sick more in the past... Uh, like six months or so, six to eight months than I have in a long time. Like my wife is, you know, start calling me. It's like, I'm, I'm the daycare kid, like bringing home every little thing. Like, <clears throat> I mean, I, even when I was at work this past semester, I was even, um, you know, I still wore a mask, like in my, all my classes and all this other kinds of stuff. But man, I, I got the flu. I mentioned, you know, kind of over the summer, I got a blood clot in my leg, which kind of, which, you know, <clears throat> obviously that's a scary thing. Um, so you got to get that taken care of. Uh, I had kind of a series, you know, it looked like that was coming back, but it, you know, all these kind of health issues that came up in at the end of the at the end of the year, it just <clears throat> it was tough. And then you know, to have Thanksgiving was going to be kind of like having a break, a, a moment to pause, and then kind of come down with the flu at that point was just like, oh my god. <clears throat> so I was hoping twenty twenty three you can get off to a better start, but then it was sure enough, uh, right ahead of the first show of the year um, on that Friday. Um, and it was also like January 6th, right? It was the second kind of anniversary of the the, the insurrection and the Capitol, right, <clears throat> by those right-wing extremists, right? So it was like, it felt like a good time to start the new year, right? To kind of remember what that was, its, what was at stake, right? What has been at stake and what continues to be at stake. I mean, a very kind of democracy or very uh, sense of like, the rising extremism in this country, right-wing extremism, white supremacy, all that kind of stuff. And so it felt like a good place to begin. But of course, I got sick right the day before the show, spent the whole day on Friday in bed, and there you go. You know, So <clears throat> I decided, you know what? Okay, <laughs> let's just slow walk this thing. <laughs> and so I started, you know, initially started scrambling. Okay, well, who can I get for Monday? I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not going to do this this way. Right. We're going to actually we're going to come in and going to spend a little time tonight, like with the community, with the, kind of our listeners, uh, kind of welcome everybody back and so on. Uh, kind of looking forward a little bit and then start going ahead and scheduling um, some things. <clears throat> so this Friday, we should be ready to go um, for there. I'm actually doing a little bit of an upgrade in our studio. <clears throat> I, I I don't want to say our studio. <clears throat> I guess this is like the, the thing that I would like to imagine about uh, one thing in my little kind of basement studio. I'm doing a little uh, renovating um, or upgrading, I should say, is some of the things here. Um, <clears throat> I've got some uh, kind of some different sound equipment that should, I think, streamline the process a little bit uh, on my end. But then I also believe that is going to make it a little bit easier for me to take the show um, portable, um, for particular occasions. 
Um, so it's kind of like streamlining a bunch of processes that I've kind of been been working with, uh, replacing my mixer that I you know that I've been using now for for several years <clears throat> with something that is really kind of built more for um, podcasts uh, specifically. So <clears throat> we're gonna see. So that's uh, that's supposed to be coming uh, on Wednesday. Um, hopefully I could get that all hooked up and everything like this without too much of a problem. And so we'll be ready to go for Friday. If not, I'll just kind of, you know, just kind of swap it back out with the old stuff and, <clears throat> or kind of go with a different kind of streamlined format, but we shall see. We should be good to go. <coughs> um, I could tell you a little bit about <clears throat> one of the things I've been thinking a lot about the past few days. Um, and it kind of intersects with. All the school board stuff that's happened the past the past year, but <clears throat> at my university um, at Kutztown, right, we have these uh, these mandatory trainings <clears throat> that we have to do um, on an annual basis, and they have a a new one that they started doing, right, um, which is <clears throat> all this kind of like like DEI training, right, as um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff, right, and so I've been working my way through those. I'm almost done with them. I got like. <clears throat> two more of those but those those ones i spent kind of the most time on and i have to say the uh <clears throat> well before i talk about the, some of the the <clears throat> the issues that came up like in there <clears throat> i thought they were they were they were pretty damn good right i mean um there were times when i was you know doing these trainings right you know it's, it was the kind of thing where you talk through a particular kind of scenario. They'd introduce some kind of kind of concepts. They talk about you know about equity. They would talk about kind of inclusions. There would be kind of um, individuals who were <clears throat> whether they were just actors or they were actual individuals that were kind of um, talking about their experiences. It was a little bit unclear, but you know it was done very well, right? Um, <clears throat> and talked about everything from um, you know the issue of kind of exclusionary practices and hiring <clears throat> to microaggressions and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, you'd work through some of the stuff, introduce some kind of concepts, look at some kind of policy and kind of issues. And yes, there was the legal framework too as well. But um, when they got down to, they would ask you questions, right? And instead of you just having to kind of pick out the right answers, a lot of times what happens in these trainings, that have you kind of write in response to questions. <clears throat> Right. And I thought that was like, you know, I said, this is actually kind of a really awesome process. <clears throat> and I got to this point in the uh, in the one. The, one of the trainings, right, one of the last trainings I did <clears throat> where I had this really kind of kind of conflicted. Experience, experience, I guess, is the best way I could put my hand on. I go, well, this is what was happening. Is like <clears throat> what they were talking about in these trainings, right? And the questions they were asking, right? And the kind of world that these folks were asking us to participate in, right? <clears throat> to imagine and help build was really one of a kind of a multi-ethnic, multiracial democracy, right? <clears throat> one that was built upon diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? I mean, this kind of stuff. And it was, I, I hate to call, to talk about it like this, but like, not, I don't hate to talk about it, but I mean, it was, it was beautiful, right? It was like, it was like, yes. <clears throat> and yes, it's work. And yes, it's, 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 you know, people grappling with 
kind of their histories and their biases and all this other kind of stuff. But ultimately at the core of message of these trainings was that difference is where we're at. Not in a difference, right? There, there's, there's difference. There's inequity. <clears throat> there's unequal power relationships are all part of our context. Right. And if and, and they, they didn't talk about it in these kind of explicit terms, but this is me taking this away about it. But <clears throat> if we all take that as our starting point, especially people like me, like white guys like me, <clears throat> right, take that as a starting point where you're recognizing that not just viewing ourselves like white men like me, right, not view, as simply this kind of, you know, this kind of script of <clears throat> white man, <clears throat> But to also taking into account my own, you know, or our own, right? But, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking in my case, I'm like, in our, in my own complicated, contradictory <clears throat> history, right? <clears throat> There's spaces to move in really positive directions, Right. And I have to say that the, the people who did the training and if anybody's interested, I could tell you who what the what the company or organization was that to put the stuff out is really I found that really good. <clears throat> if I had any criticism of that, there was a lot of most of the emphasis was on what how you and I can change our behaviors and how we treat each other to ensure that other people feel that they're part of something, <clears throat> right? What got short shrift in those videos was the equity part of it, right? <clears throat> right? It's, there seemed to be the assumption that, okay, if we all treat each other kind of much better, which again, we need to, <laughs> right? But if we do these things, we're aware of this stuff. We're kind of aware of how our kind of, even if our unintended biases, like how they have impacts, material impacts on people in the world. If we're conscious of stuff, then the equity stuff will come from that, right? But my experience has been the equity stuff doesn't automatically flow from that. And what started happening for me as I was going through all this stuff was just having these memories and these experiences of working at Kutztown University, right? And not just there, but throughout my working life, but <clears throat> Kutztown in particular, because they're the ones who are asking me to do these trainings, right? <clears throat> About how their commitment to these things is in contradiction to the way that they're investing material resources. And there was a certain thing that felt like a grave injustice right now that at the very moment <clears throat> that you have a chancellor, Chancellor Greenstein, who is coming into the state system of higher education, a, a university system that was set up with the purpose of providing access to working class Pennsylvanians based upon the demographics of the regions in which they're located or across the state as a whole, right? <clears throat> to ensure access 
of everyone. <clears throat> that was the purpose of this place. And now you've got the guy coming in from Silicon Valley with his Ivy, Ivy League school degrees and big ideas <clears throat> coming into Pennsylvania, coming to the State Center for Higher Education, taking over this stuff, seeing it as a laboratory where he could experiment on us so that he can kind of market himself as the new edu higher educational guru. And what is he doing? <clears throat> it's some of the worst austerity programs that I've seen happen since I've been at Kutztown. And there's been some biggies. This is the guy who's been able to effectively close down four universities, even though it's their mergers or recreations, or whatever the hell he wants to call them. Merge six universities into two with the promise that this is going to increase possibilities and accessibility to more options and well, make things more available. And really what it's going to do is force more people into online education, substandard education, and it's being used just as the University of Massachusetts independent study found being used basically simply to slash jobs, slash programs, slash material resources. He's given every university a number, although he says, oh, we don't have a number. <clears throat> but you talk to every university president, they know the number. They know how many faculty that they need to cut in order to hit some kind of randomly chosen peak enrollment time so that we could be the most efficient. <clears throat> I've talked about this on this on this program numerous times. And it's so, it's like, what, the, the, the kind of injustice that is involved is like at this very moment, when these questions, these DEI questions are surfacing, are being apparently being taken seriously. Like they have a DEI officer, right, at the, at the, at the state level, state center of higher education. At the very moment that these issues are finally be taken serious is the moment at which people like Chancellor Greenstein and the Pennsylvania State Legislature are tearing down those very institutions that provide access and were designed to provide access. It's really... It's disgusting. And I was I was thinking back to I used to be the um, I'll give you two examples. I used to be the uh, the vice president of our local union for a short period of time. Um, but I was on the. Our meet and discuss team for 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 a much longer time right meet and discuss is where you have a, some union representatives meet with representatives from management and you sit down you talk about issues that are coming up maybe violations of the contract or how to handle new policies you know or little problems that come up and the whole idea supposedly is that you're, you're meeting there in order to kind of like solve the problems locally before they become this kind of big issue 
<clears throat> right? Or as problems arise, you bring it to the table, try to work it out, right? <clears throat> so there was this, there's this time, and I've, you know, I won't go through everything that I've, I've talked to on the program before about how you had shortages of office buildings, you had crazy amounts of students that were being brought in. <clears throat> but there was a, the, the former president of Kutztown University was a guy named Javier Savallos. And I think he was at Mary, Maumont University or something like that. I don't know if he's still there or not, but anyways. And he started as university president the same year that I started at Kutztown. So he started university president at Kutztown the same year I started um, as a faculty member at Kutztown. And there was a lot of hope, right? Um, he came in, he was the first uh, um, uh, kind of Latino uh, university president there. <clears throat> um, he did a lot to kind of diversify the staff, right? And um, Kutztown was known as being one of the schools in the state system that was <clears throat> clearly not representative of the demographics of, of the changing demographics of the region, right? It was way too white. <clears throat> um, and like, you know, because the Lehigh Valley, for example, I mean, it was, you know, has been one of the kind of like had experienced some of the most kind of immigration people coming from New York, people coming from a whole bunch. I mean, it has an incredibly strong uh, Syrian population, has a strong kind of uh, kind of Dominican and kind of Mexican and kind of Haitian population. I mean, like all this kind of stuff. That's just that's just like Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton. Look at Reading, right? I mean, Reading, kind of majority kind of non-white city, right? Um, kind of kind of growing, say, African-American population, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was not reflected in Kutztown, right? And that was even like in Berks Ber County. So one of the things that Savayos did, um, and the one thing I will always give him credit for, right, is that he was came in and basically said, I am going to diversify this, you know, our student body because it should reflect this. And I'm like, yes. Right. And he actually, you know, put the money where the mouth is initially by kind of having recruiters go and work with high schools in those areas that were underrepresented at the university. Right. Um, and so in Philadelphia and Allentown in Reading and like a whole bunch of, and which is fantastic. And in a, in a pretty short period of time, we began seeing that kind of those, you know, the rising numbers of African-American students, Latinx students, right? Um, <clears throat> even students with disabilities, right? I mean, so there was this kind of stuff that was that was happening, was conscious, and it felt right at the time, right? <clears throat> it feel, feels right now. But then they started doing this thing, right? Because at the same time that that priority was 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 going for him, he also had a super kind of austerity policy. Now, if, if you if you didn't watch, I mean, I, I mentioned this during our last show in 2022 that um, over the holiday break, I was uh, rerunning some old shows on our Patreon site. And one of them was the the uh, documentary, mini documentary I did with Colleen Bradley, uh, the former uh, vice president of administration and finance at Westchester University, where she was helping expose some of these kind of like really unethical financing schemes that were going on, accounting schemes that were going on at Pasha universities. Same thing that was happening at Kutztown University. So, and this is happened. That was happening. That was at its peak. What Colleen Bradley was blowing the whistle on in that documentary was was at its peak during the same time when Savios wanted to kind of increase the um, the numbers of diverse students, <clears throat> right? So here we are as faculty, well, you know, I, obviously there were some 
<clears throat> right-wing faculty who are not so happy about that, but faculty like me were very happy about that, right? Yes. And so then you start increasing these numbers, and then we start noticing something, right? We're kept kind of being told that, you know, we don't have, you know, we have to cut, cut, cut. We, uh, we're out of money. Like we're, you know, we're in a crisis. We're in a fiscal crisis. And, um, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to go out of business, whatever like that. And we, we, we found out eventually, as you know, if you listen to the show, that they were just lying to us, <clears throat> that we found out where the extra money was. And it wasn't that there was extra money. It's just, they were hiding it through financing schemes or accounting schemes. But anyways, so during that same period of time, when they're kind of cutting faculty, relying on kind of, um, kind of, uh, part-time faculty and so on. Um, they're, and they're increasing kind of the numbers of uh, uh, the diversity numbers of students, right? Seeming to making good at their uh, uh, the accessing. They started cutting a number of things, right? They started cutting <clears throat> kind of summer programs that were kind of uh, designed to deal uh, to help first generation college students, especially first generation. Uh, students of color, they were starting to cut those programs. And these faculty or staff members even who ran those programs would kind of come to us, right, in the union and be like, we don't understand. They'd show us the numbers about how productive they are, how successful their programs are. And so we'd bring that to our meet and discuss. And they're like, well, you know, fiscal problems, you know, when it's raining and we got to blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Everything you can imagine that gets thrown up to kind of pretend if that, you know, that you don't have the money. Right. That's what they were doing. So that program, those some of those summer programs got got cut. There was another program. <clears throat> Right. The well, not even a program. It's like a fundamental part of a university. It's a counseling services. Right. We started they started putting the squeeze on the counselors and either cutting or not replacing the number of university counselors that were there. Right. I, I don't mean like job counselors. I mean, like, you know, like you're a therapist and things like this. Right. And we're like, hey, 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 you have more students on campus than you ever had. Right. You're you're bringing in people, right, like first generation students, right, who are relying on those resources, right? And again, you have the numbers, right? And you're now getting rid of that. Oh. And this is happening in program after program after program. And at the same time, yours was increasing the sizes of their classroom, like literally building buildings with larger classrooms. And so in our meet and discuss, we, we started looking at this and said, wait a minute. This is starting to look more and more like the university administration is using first-generation college students' students of color in order to increase revenue for the university. Not what their stated purpose was. Their stated purpose was we're getting back to the mission of the university system, right? Was to reflect demographically on our campuses what they were doing or or reflect our campus should reflect the demographics of the region, right? That was the idea. 
And they did not. And that's what we thought. I thought. I won't speak for everybody. I wasn't as jaded then as I am now. But I thought they were actually, I said, oh my God, this guy's doing some good stuff here. But then slowly you start to realize, yes, there's been, they show us the numbers, right? Look at this increase in enrollment. And yes, there was increase in white enrollment too as well. But not only did they increase the number of people of color, students of color, at the same time they were gutting the very services designed to help those students. That's the key part. They were also increasing the size of the classrooms, which is also shown to have a negative effect, particularly upon first-generation college students. But they were showing that they were increasing these populations of students as they were cutting faculty members, as they were cutting resources, And then we also started finding out <clears throat> that some of the recruiting techniques were pretty effed up. Like I had two students come to me at different points telling me about how they wanted to get out of class in high school. So they went to the college day. They had no intention of going to college. Someone from Kutztown University picked them out. What they knew, they were telling me this, right? Saying, oh, now I know they picked me out because I was a black woman. <laughs> right? Right? And I'm like, I said, oh, I said, well, I know they were increasing things. No, 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 you don't understand. They went to me and they said, would you like to come to Kutztown University? And I said, I just want to get out of classes. Like, well, we could, we could, if you want to come to Kutztown University, um, we can get you in. And that if you sign this right now, right, you'll be coming to Kutztown University. And they were like, uh, okay. And they signed it and they're like, welcome to Kutztown University. They didn't go through the normal process or anything like this, right? And in this student, thank God for this student, this particular student's case, right? She made the most. It was awesome. It was fantastic, right? I mean, she struggled with some stuff, right? But she, you know, kind of made it through. But she said she was promised that there were resources, promised support. She was nervous about going to a product, like a primarily kind of white university that is known for being super white, which you can imagine. Of course she would be. In particular, in an area that's known to have like an active clan, like uh, uh, headquarters, not like less than a half an hour away, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. I mean, you know, she was like, well, no, we have lots of support, blah, blah, blah. And when she came to campus, she found that those resources were, if they existed at all, they were difficult to access or were not what they were promised to be. And so you got to wonder. Wait a minute. Are you bringing in those students because you are making a very progressive move by ensuring access? Or are you patting your numbers on their backs? Which is disgusting. 
And so we'd go to the meet and discuss table. And I remember saying this multiple on multiple occasions, right? Same as it, look, if you're cutting all the resources designed to help out these students, not only is that what I just said to you, disgusting, if it's simply for revenue purposes and balance sheets, but if you're cutting out the resources designed to help them, you are setting up a situation in which they are not going to perform as they should. That you're setting them up to fail. And not only are you setting them up to fail, but when they drop out after their first or second year, now they have debt that they didn't have. Now they've got $30,000 worth of debt with no degree to show for it. And I remember it used to it used to make me sick. And they would look at you straight in the face and be like looking at you like they have no idea what you're talking about. And then guess what happened? Exactly what we said was going to happen. We started students were dropping out. There was this big fear about how come we can't retain students. Oh no, we're seeing larger number of students of color drop out. Of course. <laughs> right? Of course you are. Because they were using those, and it's like to this day, it, it, this is one of the things that just, I, I mean, how could you treat people like that? <clears throat> And I guess if we rely upon a department that's called human resources and you start talking about people as human capital, well, you can kind of, you know, get the idea, but you can see pretty quickly about how they can do this. About how they can treat people as nothing but figures on balance sheets. <clears throat> and so the point of that story long and drawn out and convoluted as it was, is that I, I'm going through this training and I, I'm getting this sense of deja vu. And like I said, the training is really good. It's exactly what we should be doing. But I'm left with this feeling is that what they're going to do is basically just say to everybody who already works here, so now it's on you. And if it's on you and we, we're not going to put any money to it, so work harder. We're not going to really support you. Oh, unless you want, of course, you know, like write for a specific grant and do this other kind of stuff so that we could kind of build up our own cultural capital and blah, 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 blah. And the thing is, is that this is a statewide requirement, right? So this is not something just coming just from Kutztown. This is coming from Pashi as a whole. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm doing this stuff and I'm thinking about these, about these universities that have just been consolidated having like, you know, dozens of faculty just, you know, disappeared, if you will. 
laid off, retrenched. And the students who were looking to those places for access are now joining a system that is no longer designed to meet their needs. And everybody's left the building except for a Silicon Valley guy who's just kind of like, he says, all we got to do is just like, I don't know, use lots of jargon and kind of put out, like show a bunch of, bunch of studies, but not invest a dime in material resources in order to make that stuff happen. Now, who knows? Maybe in the end, this guy is just going to find, you know, oh, convince all the legislators to kind of like, you know, turn, uh, you know, turn the spigot back on, so to speak, to actually change the entire political culture in here. So, I mean, I recognize it's not <coughs> simply just the state system of higher education. I mean, this is a kind of a cultural sickness that we have. This is exactly the issue that was going on in our school districts, right? I mean, at the very moment when we have an opportunity to, like, you know, take a, a little crumb of a bite of what, you know, Reconstruction promised. I mean, that whole idea, he's like, you know, <clears throat> I remember Sam Cedar on the Majority Report talking about this for years, and I remember, uh, I mean, well, I mean, he's one of the, I remember the first... He's had multiple people on the show, right? Uh, his show, Majority Report, um, talking about Reconstruction, right? Um, I remember reading about Reconstruction for the first time um, from Eric Foner's work, a historian. Got back when I was got it still in Syracuse, um, and uh, it was this moment in American history where it was like an inflection point, right? is that it, it wasn't just like we had this idea about a kind of multiracial democracy, right? It wasn't like, it's just that it was just a thing that, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. No, it was starting to happen. It was like this very fragile moment that if it had been supported, if some, some, choices had been different, right? If people had decided to kind of know we're going to double down on fighting fascism instead of accommodating it. Like, again, just like the moment we're in now. Well, we'd have the opportunity to kind of make substantial strives toward that kind of more perfect union to use the kind of, you know, ideological tropes of American culture. And, you know, and I, and I think about it, the DEI stuff in our, in our public schools, the DEI stuff that I'm, you know, these training things that I'm doing at Kutztown, and, and I can't help but think is like, they're just doing it again. And it's not like they just don't, it's not like they're just, <clears throat> they don't believe it, Okay. Like, I, I, I will be willing to grant, like, I have, I'm not going to try to kind of get into the hearts and minds of kind of like the chancellor of the state system for higher education or the president of Kutztown University, right? 
they might believe it in their heart of hearts, right? Um, that to be inclusive and all that they they could they could they, they could believe, they believe that. I'm not saying that they're closet racist. What I'm saying is that they <clears throat> they could believe that. And at the same time, because of the way that our kind of our neoliberal capitalist culture is structured, <laughs> right? At the same time, they could look at those very programs, the very things that are necessary in order to make sure that we have that more perfect union, right? That we have that kind of multi, multi-racial, multi-ethnic democracy, right? The, the, that you need those kind of material investments, right? You need things like, well, you need those kind of support systems, right? You know, the whole idea about, around about you know, a kind of say redistribution of wealth, right? Which, you know, the right freaking hates. The whole idea about kind of like, Let's, let's take it out of that history just for a second, right? To kind of come back into it. If we think about like the debate that just happened around climate change at the last summit, right? Which, you know, there was, you know, some positive things there. But what the global South is saying is that, look, we didn't cause the pollution. We didn't burn fossil fuels. Matter of fact, our resources were taken from us from us so you could build that industrial culture that is now threatening the planet. So we need to be compensated for that now so that we can all get on the page and towards saving the future. Right? That whole idea about, say, you know, we talk about reparations in terms of slavery and all that kind of, you know, and that kind of stuff. Right? It's the same kind of thing, though. It's like <clears throat> you, you basically have to recognize the historical injustice at its core and the material injustice at its core in order to be able to see it now. Instead, it always gets framed as the global South kind of they want more. They want more from the West. Like, why can't they do it on their own? No, they just want their, their handouts. It's like this absolutely effed up logic that has grappled this culture for so long, right? For the for the bulk of my lifetime, right? Since the Reagan era, man. I mean, yes, it was there before, but this is like what it really started ramping up into the neoliberal kind of expression of it. So you could have somebody, you know, putting out these nice DEI trainings and everybody say, oh, look here. And we could all feel we want to do that. And in industries like mine, right? You know, like in, in, in teaching industries, right? In the helping industries, if you will, where a lot of people are drawn to these professions because they, they, they're passionate about it. We don't do it for the money. We do it for the education. We do it for teaching. We do it for like ideas, the betterment of things, right? The advance, you know, that like all the kind of stuff. We're 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 passionate about those things. <coughs> and so they can exploit that too, right? They could take us and say, like, oh yeah, because you care, you'll take you do this extra thing. And they'll they'll have all these sentences. I was thinking a lot about this like uh earlier today. I was thinking all the sentences that say it'll just take another minute. It'll just take another minute. It'll just take a minute or two of your time. Right? Every time a manager or a boss says that to you, look, it'll just be able to, it'll just take you 20 minutes. Right? Yes, I know these things could be a tra- this is what I've heard them saying about I know but look, this is a good thing. It'll only take 30 minutes. It'll only take 15 10 to 15 minutes. It'll only it just you just like that. And so if you're passionate about something, you care about the issue at hand, you look at, yeah, okay, yeah, that's 10 minutes of my time, right? And it's never 10 minutes of your time. 
unless you do absolutely shoddy work, right? You don't do it. It's never that much, especially if you care. Right. Put that aside. So then the question is, is that over time, how many of those it'll just take X amount of minutes? How many of those things have stacked? Because it wasn't just like 10 minutes and done. It's 10 minutes and then it's this other thing for 15 minutes and then it's another thing for two days. It's another thing for an extra class. It's another thing for this. And then they stay and they accumulate. And it's all uncompensated. And that's the thing that kind of Mark's always talked about, right? Is that's the way when you want to in increase, increase profit, right? <clears throat> you can have more people. Or you can look at lengthen the working day, right? So make people work longer, right? Or have fewer people <clears throat> do the same amount of work as more, right? And so the more I can basically chip away at a person's job by telling 20 other people, hey, it'll just take 10 minutes. Like I remember uh, Jim Zabrowski uh, was one of my mentors at Syracuse University, right? Um, and... Uh, I remember I, I took a summer with him and we read we read Capital together and um um but he was the he was a he was this guy is awesome right and I, I remember this one day I went down was going down to his office and he was sitting there um you know he's working on his computer or whatever like this and it was just kind of like in the earlier days of PCs and things like this and I think that they had just started maybe. A few years, I mean, maybe that year, maybe it was a few years before, I don't really remember, but, but they were relatively new, historically speaking, to have individual like, computers on faculty's desks, <clears throat> right? And they had just gotten, I can't remember if they were new, like these little initial Macs or whatever it was. And he's in there and he's looking at this thing and he's like working on this thing, right? And uh, I went and said, hey, Jim. And uh, he's looking at this thing. He's like, hey, Kevin. <laughs> It's a come in and he's kind of squinted at the screen and uh, and he's like, looks at me. He's like, you know what this is? <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. I mean, it's a computer. Right? He's like, no, no, this is a replacement of a secretarial staff. <clears throat> As I guess like, how we thought about every it was just like he just was so incisive in so many ways. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he's like, he's like, look, <clears throat> what had been done. Like up until now, for the longest time, right, is that correspondence, it would go, if somebody wants to get in touch with you about something, right, they would call the office. And then the secretary would kind of call on you, relay the message, and you would handle it from there, right? Now what they're doing is they're cutting out that call to the office, where now they can just email me directly. And if they could email me directly, that means that her job, mostly her job, Right. Um, there was few men secretaries, at least um, in my experience back then. Right. Her job becomes less and less important, less and less relevant. Right. Or they could give her a whole bunch of additional work or other kinds of work in order to do this to justify saving her job. But more so like what they're going to do is they're going to cut her position. Right. And I, you know, you and I, you know, using that as an example, and I remember watching the size of department offices, university department's offices, where I was both in school and then teaching later, shrink. 
right on the money. <clears throat> and then you look at the amount of time that faculty members spent handling the stuff that was normally done by a secretary, <clears throat> that increased. Right. The wages of the faculty member did not increase to correspond with that. Matter of fact, faculty's the overall faculty wages were falling at that time and still are o like overall. And the number of people who had that decent, well-paying job vanished. <clears throat> right. That was a union job. <clears throat> the same kind of idea, you know. I don't know. <clears throat> So I just, I've been thinking about a lot about that that kind of thing today. <laughs> you know, it's uh, as I'm getting ready and preparing to kind of you know for my classes for the spring and everything like this. I'm thinking like, it's pretty amazing that at you know the core of what we do, I mean the core of so much of what's happening in this culture, right, is like at the very moment we have the opportunity again. <clears throat> to do something better, like we're enough of the, you know, this DEI stuff, you know, that enough of it has gotten to the point where university systems are investing in these programs. <clears throat> Remember, I mentioned, I think it was a Temple University um, has a whole, you know, a center open there for some of the stuff. But anyways, the very kind of moment is what we do again. It's, it's it, you know, you allow access at the time in which it's the most difficult, where the very institutions and structures and supports that are designed that people like me benefited from, right? Like white people historically have benefited from. It's like when you see like other people, and this is, you know, this is kind of the classic example, other people trying, or other people kind of finally saying, yes, we can come here too, pulling the ladder up afterwards, <laughs> right? I'd say, you can still come up. You just got to climb the wall, <laughs> right? I mean, it's essentially what we're doing. So <clears throat> anyways, so that's really been on my mind as we're coming in. And I've been thinking a lot about that kind of moving in. And I want to I'll share one more thing about this. I did not intend to talk only about this tonight, but here I am, you know, so it's only got a few people that are kind of have tuned in tonight, you know, uh, for live popping in and out and things like this. So, uh, I would happy to be take anybody else's uh, line of discussion, believe me. Um, <clears throat> but I was thinking one other example and you say, well, okay. Cause you always want, you don't want to be just the complainer, right? So well, what would you do? Well, you know, I mean, what would that look like? Cause well, I'll give you a perfect example. At Kutztown university, um, they decided that they wanted, um, the business, the college of business to be, um, Accredited by what the ABA American Business Association? I don't know, like the highest level of accreditation, right? Um, which is normally reserved for research research one universities, right? So they wanted this um, American Business. What I don't know why I can't think of it. But anyways, they wanted this higher level of accreditation, right? It was already an accredited program, right? Under this accrediting agency that was specifically designed to accredit programs for universities that served, that had the, the teaching load that we did, that served the population that we did. So it was all there, right? But they just wanted to go, no, no, no. We just want to show that we could compete with the higher thing, right? <clears throat> and so they started hiring faculty members. Well, <clears throat> they really wanted that accreditation. 
right? Let me just say, I got what's going to bother me. Let's see, business. Uh, AACSB is what we used to have. <clears throat> Uh, I'm not going to be able to find it right away. Anyways, <clears throat> okay, so I'll, I'll be short on this one. So what they did is basically decided, okay, well, in order to do this, in order to qualify for this accreditation, that we have to have a particular number of faculty members, <clears throat> right, that are um, with PhDs um, in these particular fields and offer these particular kinds of programs, right? So what they did is they spent a bunch of money to go out and get those faculty members, right, to hire those faculty members, they were having a problem, though, because you know what? Guess what? The faculty members who are normally going to those schools, right, for those accredited programs or being asked to come in to help build that stuff, um, they're not used to coming in and teaching four classes per semester. They're not teaching a four-four load is what we'd call it. They're more likely to be coming from places that would be, you know, invested in a, like a two-two load or a one-two load. Sometimes a one-one load, right, you know? <clears throat> so you're trying to entice faculty members to come to a place that they're going to, their teaching level, their te their amount of teaching they're going to be doing is going to be exceptional. That any research agenda they have is not going to, they're not going to have time for that same research agenda, right, for here. So they're like, well, you know, why should I take a job with you when I've got this other job over here that's a far less teaching load? There's more, there's more money for my travel. There's more money for my research. What I'm going to do. So what do they do? Instead of hiring that faculty member at the entry level position, which is where they told the rest of us for forever that, nope, that's the policy. That's the only way to do it. You hire that person at that entry level. Everybody gets hired at that level. Nope. They decided to start hiring people at higher levels, at higher steps in our contract. Right? Instead of at the assistant level, coming at the associate level, right? Instead of uh, assistant level step one, coming assistant like step 12, whatever it might be. Right? I'm, I'm making these things, these the particulars up in this case, but you, you, you know, my, you know, I'm not making up, but it's like, I'm not looking at a document that's showing you this stuff, but that was the kind of things they were doing. They're hiring them for more money. <clears throat> right. Not only that, unlike everybody else that they said, well, you know, the, even, even though they, they were getting paid more, they're getting, you know, what they wanted. They're getting paid more than most everybody else on campus for the same year of service. <coughs> then you're like, well, you know, I can't do my research or I can't do this accrediting thing because <clears throat> I don't have the time. I, how do you expect me to do this? <coughs> so what do they do? They offered them course releases. The very things that they took away from everybody else said that we don't have no money. We have no money. We have no money. They said, no, you go and we're going to basically pay you to do your research. Right. Instead of teaching Four classes, you'll teach three or maybe even two. So you can do, do your research. <clears throat> and that's your purpose is to go do your research. And that's what they did. And they got the accreditation. Right? That is a perfect example of materially supporting a goal. Now, whether or not you think that is a worthwhile goal or not, the university did. And that's what they did. So not, what does that show you? It shows you that it can be done. That 
there are material resources in order to accomplish a particular goal if the will is there. So <clears throat> what does that mean for our DEI moment? Well, you could do exactly the same thing. One of the reasons why Well, I don't want to I don't want to go down this track entirely because there's it I don't want to go off on a tangent because there's a bunch of other things that are associated with this that I want to say. Um <clears throat> that I just I I know if I start talking about it, I'm going to go way too long. Um but basically saying like this, okay, you want those faculty members? You want to have a more diverse faculty body, right? <clears throat> well, what do you do? Well, okay, you don't just tell them that we want you and show them that like we care or that we're committed to diversity. No, you pay him for it. You have to entice them to come. Cause I know in my field, like I'm in the English department, not in my field in particular, but <coughs> in the whole English thing, I know in my field, right. Where historically, right, they've or in the English writ large has historically been white dominated, right, has been significantly changing. However, right, students of color who come out of a PhD program, right, doing kind of doing good work and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> they've if they've got an option to go to someplace else other than kind of a a rural kind of white conservative place to go, guess what? They're going to go there. <clears throat> Unless you make it worth their while. Unless you, boom, right? You do the same kind of stuff that they did to those faculty in the <coughs> business school. Right? They could do that. And when they come here, because you want to make sure that they get tenure, and you want to make sure that they're supported in their coursework, that you say, hey, you know what? For your first two years... You get course releases to do research. They did this at the University of New Jersey, actually, um, when they kind of reformed their university system years ago. Right? You could do that. They could look at, say, for example, they could notice, like, huh, you know what? <coughs> and we've had some faculty members at our university bring this up, and justifiably so is that there are some disciplines that end up teaching in the large classroom buildings, right? And I could tell you why that happened. I'll just give you the short version of that. It's like President Javier Ceballos went out and hired independent outside consultants to come in and tell him which classes to put in there against our, not even recommendations, against what we were telling them was problematic. They shouldn't do that. That there should be a discussion about it. But instead, we went to outside consultants that decided to put in a bunch of disciplines into those large classroom buildings, thinking that that's all going to be fine because that's the way it's done elsewhere. But anyways, to say like, oh, look, we recognize that you seem to be teaching, right? That we have a bunch of students, or, or we put it like this. Let's put, put it, you, you want to make it more general. <clears throat> that we're going to have equity in students, right? Equity in the amount of students who you teach. Like, so for example, if you end up teaching in a classroom that has 100 students, we're going to count that for two classes, right? There's a lot of things you can do to make people's material circumstances better and to entice that and create it. You could then also say, okay, you know what? We're going to make sure that you have 
travel resources, right? So that you can go present at conferences so that you can get, you know, kind of more people here. We're actually going to invest in an institute that's going to help support the summer research that you're going to be able to kind of um, have a significant um, role in deciding which way it's going to go. All that can happen. So that's what we need to do. I mean, that's really where things got to go from here, right? Yes, we need the kind of like, not even just need, I think I think it's like <clears throat> awesome to do this kind of this DEI kind of training. But then these institutions need to stop the policies and politics of austerity. Right. And asking the very people that they supposedly want to recruit to bear a double burden. <laughs> You know, anyways, <clears throat> that's my uh, diatribe for tonight. That's how I'm thinking about coming to the 2023. Uh, I don't know what you're thinking about, but um, <clears throat> there it is. So one thing I'll, I'll tell everybody um, that if you are not a patron of the show, um, then you'd probably don't know about this yet. <coughs> so I'm going to tell you about it. Um, one thing I've been playing around with for a while, I'm looking for some kind of, uh, uh, like additional stuff to do, um, as in part of raging chicken and some other kind of not quite side projects, but they're a little bit out of, out of the lane, a little bit of what we do here on out to coop live or what we do on our Friday politics roundup and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, and so on. So I, I, I decided that, um, I probably mentioned it on the show a couple of times is that I've been really keen on doing this thing. Um, just really be just kind of enjoyable and interesting and kind of fun and kind of expand us of uh, this kind of a little bit of a Dungeon and Dragons type of uh, <clears throat> kind of journey podcast, if you will. And um, it's been back in my mind for a while. My, my kids kept on saying, hey, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And then finally, my my daughter drew me this uh, or painted me this awesome painting um, with this kind of logo on it. And it's called Dungeons and Dragons and Dad, because that's what I told her I wanted to I wanted to do. And so I'm going to do that. Um, but it's going to be located solely on our Patreon site. <clears throat> All right. And um, and the idea there is that, you know, this is I'm like kind of like a, a like a, a relative newbie when it comes to DMing for Dungeons and Dragons, meaning kind of being the the game master. Right. Um, setting it up all this stuff and that I played a bit when I was younger. I wish I could have played more. I absolutely love playing D&D, love playing Dungeons and Dragons. This is my first time DMing with my uh, and I'm doing it for my kids and my niece, my my um, brother-in-law. And uh, it's just so enjoyable and so kind of life giving in so many ways uh, for me, at least. Right. So I thought it'd be kind of cool. You know, I've, I've watched lots of podcasts and all this kind of stuff, but <clears throat> instead of doing like a tips and tricks thing or here's advice that I can give to you is to kind of have more of a kind of kind of a fluid kind of, you know, say journey of kind of working with uh, doing this first campaign, things that I'm noticing, things that are going through my mind. And next, and I've started working on kind of building my own world for my own campaign that I want to run starting next summer. And it has, it's kind of a lot of the kind of issues that we've all been kind of like faced with over the past, say, four or five, six years especially has kind of really come to a head are kind of infused in this world that I'm kind of working on. So I thought, say, hey, you know, it'd be kind of cool to, to have a little something extra on our Patreon site um, that would just document that journey. And, you know, maybe we'll pick up some people along the way, you know, I mean, 
and that'd be kind of cool. And I've seen, you know, I, I see that, you know, what, what the right wing tends to do is the right wing tends to do and people on the right will tend to go into places like these cultural places. Like, you know, you look at what they've done with uh, like, you know, online gaming and stuff like this. And they'll use it almost like recruiting places for white supremacy, you know, and or misogyny and all the kind. They're really toxic spaces. And, and, you know, I thought like, well, why the hell do we have more of us who are not doing that? Why aren't we in these spaces too, you know? And I started thinking, like, well, what would it look like to do that here? I mean, you can't, you know, if you want a real kind of thinking about, say, progressive new stuff, right? You can't just do the same thing that they're doing, right? Just on the left. I mean, just because it's a different ethos, right? It's not about hate. It's not about tearing down. It's about slowly building up. So after watching the series, you know, and I've talked about the dungeon run for a while, that it was such a beautiful, and I just actually just rewatched the entire first season too as well, because it was just a beautiful story. Right. It's like emotionally complex and it's about people and about caring and about tragedy and, and trauma. And it, it's just that was infused. It wasn't like, you know, people talking about it directly, like all the time. It was the game. <clears throat> but that came part of it. And, you know, I've run my first sessions, first few sessions with my, you know, with with my players. And it that sense of community is there. It's really cool. Right. And so I thought that'd be kind of a cool thing to do. Um, so I said, okay, what the heck? I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and do this. And so on our Patreon site, I started to put it up. The first post is up there explaining some of this called the Dungeon Dragons of Dead. I want to be clear. If you're listening to this podcast, you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this podcast, <clears throat> the stuff that I'm putting on this Dungeon and Dragons and Dad stuff, right, that's going to go up on our Patreon site, um, it's going to go up like our, uh, uh, if you're a patron of the show, you'll get kind of early access to it. Right. You know, for, but then a, a few days later, it'll be open for everybody. Right. I, I think that, you know, I hate that having to kind of put a, say a paywall up on stuff or something like this simply, you know, you know, cause obviously we have to pay the bills, you know, you have to, you gotta make sure you have it. But the, the whole idea is that, you know, I want it to be kind of more inclusive here. And I also thought that while I was doing, the Dungeon Dragons and Dad stuff. And I was thinking about that over on Patreon. I mean, instead of kind of going back and redoing the RagingChickenPress.org site, which is what I had started to do already, I think I'm just going to utilize, you know, the, the our Patreon site to kind of for kind of writing additional content. Right. As a way of kind of um, talking through more informally, more kind of story based stuff and things. Um, some of the stuff that's kind of going on. So you might see some changes that are going on over there, but I wanted to let everybody know, because if you're a, a patron of the show, you already know this because I've put up posts and um, I've got some feedback from folks already about this. We're kind of excited about the possibilities, uh, but I wanted you to know too, as well, that, you know, you can head on over to, you know, patreon.com slash RC press, and you can see these posts now. Right. So that you can go over there, too, as well. You don't have to become a patron to go and see that content. Um, but I wanted you to let you know that that's going to be happening as part of it here. And you're going to hear that started to be integrated into, um, you know, some of the intros that we do for the show, too, as well. But so I think that's going to be kind of cool. And I think that's also going to be a way that um, I can share some of the other collaborative work that we're doing, um, that we're doing some elsewhere. What really got me thinking about that really was was the whole kind of, you know, like Twitter shit show um, after Elon Musk, you know, took over, took over that. And, you know, initially, like I said, you know, I kind of, I, I, you know, Raging Chicken is on Mastodon now, too, as well. But that's a really different kind of space. 
And I don't think it should be like the new Twitter for the sake of being the new Twitter, right? It could be a different kind of space. And yet so much of our political communities are kind of have been, you know, based in Twitter. So it's kind of like, well, what do we do here? Right. I mean, how do we actually ensure that we're kind of connecting with people um, in, in the wake of what happened on Twitter and just kind of like going to another platform and trying to rebuild or, or make it the same didn't seem right to me. <clears throat> so I thought it seemed like an opportunity to do something a little bit different, right, to kind of uh, start writing in a little bit of a different way and kind of uh, sharing content in a different way. In addition to the ways that we have been have been doing right, we'll still be posting links to Twitter. We'll still be kind of doing the stuff on YouTube and we'll still be kind of like alerting to people what's going on. But there's this other space where um, it's not simply about the clicks, you know what I mean? It's not just about the number of shares and the likes and the dislikes and whether or not the trolls are out, all that kind of stuff. But it could be a little bit more of a, um, a kind of a focused endeavor. So <clears throat> do with that you, what you will. And hopefully some of that will fold into what we're going to, well, hopefully that we're going to be able to work out um, on Discord too as well. We shall see. All right, everybody, um, I'm going to call it a night at this point. It is uh, just about 830. I did not even intend to uh, go this long tonight. Um, I wish you a super happy new year. Um, welcome to 2023. I hope things are going OK for you. Um, <clears throat> they're going OK for me at this point. I'd like them to go a little bit better, um, but we shall see. Um, I just want to, you know. Couldn't wait too long to kind of come back and say, hey, uh, we'll check it out. Take a look, uh, you know, follow some of what we're doing here on social media, Patreon, whatever it might be, um, to see where we're going from here, what are some upcoming guests are going. I know that we're looking to have um, Alyssa Bowen back on the show um, pretty soon. We have to work out some of the details there. Uh, I just got to get back in touch and we have to schedule. We have to meet about some other stuff too as well. But um, so Alyssa Bowen back on the show. I've got some kind of uh, great suggestions that have been coming in from our community, which I'm going to reach out to folks who can get some of those scheduled. Um, so um, I'll have some more announcements coming up soon about, you know, who, what we're looking at in the weeks ahead. Uh, but for now, uh, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I uh, just want to remind you, yeah, the best way you can help support this show is by becoming a patron. You head on over to patreon.com slash RC Press. You become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Um, <clears throat> I hope that, uh, we are going to, uh, look at that. Something is missing there. Oh, now I understand. Okay. Um, sorry. I know I'm just, I'm, I'm vamping here, but, um, but you know, uh, I want to thank you all for, uh, all the time that you've put in. Um, I wish you a happy new year and, uh, look forward to seeing you all on Friday and again next week. Uh, hope we are sound and our stuff that was going to be even better than it was before. There are no people um, in the future. Let me we'll see y'all. See ya. Where are my people? Oh, where are my people? I guess I'll fly.